Big Bad Pod. Big Bad Pod. Big Bad Pod. Should we put any quotes from no. the show in the intro? You are listening to Big Bad Pod. This is not a bi-weekly podcast. It is a podcast that happens when it fucking happens. And after, I don't know, four episodes so far, we still haven't organized, you know, an introduction. That's how organized I am with getting this podcast ready. Anyway, Big Bad Pod. I'm Falcon. This is... Napatak. Nap Attack. We're going with Nap Attack today. I'm with it. All right. And this is a podcast on, according to this magazine, alternative news. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> okay. So you don't usually uh, read from alternative news magazines. This is a new addition to you being in the pod cave. Yes. Well, I mean, as I've explained in past podcasts, what I try and do is find views that are different to the mainstream views and... Uh, see if we can suss out whether or not they're more likely to be true. Um, and because you've been so lazy over the past three weeks, you thought I'll just, I'll just get, bring a magazine and and pick your your favourite article and uh, talk us through that. Yeah, I did deliberately find a magazine that gives news that's not really in line with mainstream. I didn't realise it was going to be called alternative news because that is just that's. Uh, I'd rather call it conspiracies. <laughs> Because you know what? Governments, mm. people in charge mm-hmm. conspire. They conspire for their own benefit mm-hmm. and at the disadvantage of poorer people or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I feel like conspiracy just has a bad rap. Alternative news, however... Also just has uh, a bad rap, right? Yeah. But it just feels so much worse given recent history. <laughs> All right, so uh, you've picked your you picked your article. Yes, I've picked an article. I've read exactly zero of this article, um, but I recognise one of the words in the title: panspermia. Okay, uh, which is something that I've been interested in for a while and haven't had time to research. So I'm going to read this article and hopefully it holds. Okay, I'm going to bit of just throw it out. I have n- never heard of panspermia. All right, so to sort of try and give you an idea of what pans- can I can I try and break it down? Yeah, do it. All right. I mean, pan means, I mean, when you think about pansexual, you think about like a scope, like there's no set sexuality uh, for right. a pansexual. Yep. So, uh, you know, kind of fluid uh, kind of, um, you know, your word there. So pan and then sperm yep. is definitely, you know, the, the little swimmers that aim for eggs um, yep. in, in animals that procreate through sex. And the last bit, ER, um, when I think about a word, with the ends in ER, like anemia, it's like a, it's it's like a, uh, like a pertaining to. Yeah, pertaining to. So I guess this, I mean you're on the right track. Am I cool? Yeah. So breaking this down, it's like the pan. Uh, so it's it's like um different ranges of how sperm can like what form sperm can come in or or what their role is am i somewhere along the right track you're vaguely along the right track okay um panspermia is the concept that um our original genetic makeup hence the sperm yep was designed and put together from a whole bunch of different sources hence the pan it's extraterrestrial life has designed the human genome and um, basically created humanity. Okay. So we're here by design 
by extraterrestrial design. Does it have to be extraterrestrial? It cannot be like just from different animals, you know, like two different species breeding together. Is that panspermia as well? Um, it makes sense in my head that that would be panspermia. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. I hadn't looked into that. This is my understanding of what panspermia means. So that to be, seems to fit into that. It has to be extraterrestrial. Um, would that, I mean, would this be alluding to the idea that there are organisms, like microorganisms, that maybe came to Earth on meteorites or asteroids and they kind of survived you know, coming into the atmosphere because the atmosphere wasn't as, as harsh as it is now. And um, then they kind of started breeding together. And that's why we have the, you know, the ecosystem that we have today. Is that what you're... Uh, that makes sense. And that, that, I think that that is something that could actually hold up. I, I think, hopefully, this article says something along those lines because I really actually like that idea. As, I think it makes sense. Concept. It does make sense. All right. That's, so that's what um, I like about it. Hit me with the with the article. What's give me an intro? All right, intro. Uh, biogenesis is the dominating theory which explains the origin of human life on Earth. Yeah, that sounds about right. Sounds it evolved from the primordial soup theory to the present day RNA world hypothesis. All right, let's stop there. Primordial yep. meaning. Can we break that word down a bit. Um. Well. My understanding of primordial Fundamental, soup, yeah. yeah, is is that the ancientest of ancient right okay. um, genetic codings, yeah. primordial soup, just the right. So the further that we, all we came from, yeah, the further we go back, as far as we can go to like our real fundamentals. Before there was a whole bunch of like junk DNA that we kind of just mixed around and didn't use when we were forming. Now, yeah, so, okay, cool. Yep, we're on the right track. Yeah. It is possible that it could be shown that some components of life could have originated from inorganic matter, but proving their transition to the living cell would be much more difficult. Uh, I don't really know what to do with that. Okay, so inorganic matter. What? Well, I think that just means non-living matter. Okay, non-living. How does non-living go to living? Okay. How does does a cell form from not cells? Okay, yes, I'm with you. Okay, all right. So that that last bit was this the, just saying that this article is going to be discussing how we how cells went from not living cells or, um, or not living um, material into cells. Well, I think it's be. saying that the dominating theory at the moment is that um, living things came from non living things okay. combining. Right. Okay. Yep. Right. There are two problems facing abiogenesis. The first problem is that the cell architecture is not coded by DNA. Well, it's coded by RNA, which turns into DNA, isn't it? Yeah, that's my understanding of it. Yeah, right, okay. This means that genes provide information on how to build basic blocks of life, such as proteins, enzymes, molecular complexes, etc., but that genomes contain no genes that specify cellular forms, such as membranes or cytoskeletons. Right. Um, So this article is saying that DNA... Uh, holds the, the blueprint. Yeah, the problem with DNA is it doesn't seem to... Doesn't? It, they, they think that it doesn't hold the blueprints to things like cell membranes? 
the first problem is that cell architecture is not coded by DNA. So DNA is not what says what has um, proteins, enzymes, whatever. Right, aren't proteins that's, and enzymes sounds... things that enter the cell? Yeah. In order to make the cell do what it's meant to do? Oh, that's right. Uh, this means that genes provide information on how to build basic blocks of life. So they do have information on how to build proteins, but they contain no genes that specify cellular forms such as membranes or cytoskeletons. So they have information on how to build proteins, but not how to build cells. Because cells are much bigger and more complex than proteins and enzymes. Correct, but... But I thought DNA did have that I thought That was my understanding, that the, the whole DNA sequence was what you ended up with. You know, once all said and done, once it's done, once every instruction's been followed in, in the DNA, it's made a cell. Right. So this magazine sort of conflicts with our current understanding of how... Cells work? Biology works, yep. yeah. Okay. Should but we push on? I think we should push on. Um... I don't know everything, and I expect that a magazine would hire people that sort of know their shit. Okay. I've sworn twice now. I'm going to have to put an explicit sticker on the damn podcast. That's, I don't think I've never noticed an explicit sticker on any of the podcasts I've ever listened to, so I don't think other people really pay attention to that. Right. Just a legal formality. It's fine. Yeah. Oh, you just worry that you have to remember to do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because right. otherwise it'll get ripped off iTunes, and I'll just it'll be a pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. All right. Right. The second problem is that even the simplest cell has a sophisticated control system which drives the cell's life cycle. Um, I don't see why that's a problem. Let's go on. The cell system is, compri- is comprised of multiple modular subsystems that implement cellular growth and reproduction. Yeah, correct. That's, yeah. Yeah, so far so good. An integral control system constructed using biochemical and genetic logic circuitry organizes the timing of initiation of each of those modular functions, similar to an electronic control system designed by a man. Well, we were going to... This was pointing towards design. Yep, that's, I'm fine. I'm so, fine with so far. I can see where it's going. Although this says that it's the second problem, but that's okay. This control system is not coded by the cell DNA, but is inherited from the mother cell. I thought that was through the DNA, but okay. Since genes are not involved with the cell structure and its control system, it is difficult to envisage how abiogenesis could be responsible for the origins of life. I feel like this article is not understanding the basic principle of evolution. Right. Um, I don't think it's really covered evolution. No, but I think I think it's what it's alluding to it is like a complete misunderstanding of what evolution does. It's kind of saying uh, cells work, um, therefore something has designed them to work that way. Yeah. Rather than cells work because all the cells that didn't work didn't work. Well, I think it's more saying like it's not it's not saying that things can't evolve. Once they are functioning, it's saying how do things get to the point where they function in the first place? How do you go from nothing to something? How do you go from non-living to living organism? It's, it's still... I mean, I guess evolution is, is 
just when it turns into living organism, but it, it's still a seeing what works and when it works, it continues to you know change and, and work in other ways. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Therefore, yeah, but how do you how do you ever see what works? Like, how does anything ever come to life? Once you've got a living thing, mm-hmm. you can tweak that, and some things will fail, and some things will succeed. But if you do not have a living thing in the first place, you're just mashing shit together. Yeah, until it creates something that's living. Well, that's like this says. It's an extremely complex system. Even a cell is an extremely complex system with a lot of facets within the DNA. Um, so how, like, how does it get to that point? Okay, well, I'm I'm curious to see what this article suggests is the reason why, the catalyst for it getting to that point. All right, let's see. These problems are not applicable to the span, to the panspermia hypothesis, which was revived by Crick and Orgel. I don't know who they are. Hoyle and Wick, uh, just, just names. Mm-hmm. Moving on, confirm that life could have come from the cosmos and further research shows that bacteria and even higher organisms could have survived a journey through space. I think that could be the case. but That's that, reasonable. Yeah. It still doesn't cover the non-life-to-life thing, but let's see. Since these proposals... Yeah, since these proposals, molecular and genetic research has shown that life is far more complex than was ever suspected and panspermia is becoming a serious alternative to the theory of evolution. There we go. We've hit that word, key word, evolution. Here's my issue. Um, if, if this article is going in the direction I think it's going, which is that you needed something extraterrestrial to come into you know, the Earth's you know, into this little habitat in order for organic material to start, you know, being living and getting up and moving around and, uh, you know, and, and procreating and the rest of it. Um, my issue is that thing that was extra, extraterrestrial that came into Earth had to come from somewhere. And it also is, it has to abide by the same physics and biology law. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know yeah, what you mean. Everything, it has to originate from somewhere. It's this like idea of of well everything comes from god and it's like well, where'd god come from like eventually you have to just draw a line and say it it happened it come from eventually it it it's just really hard to explain and it's come from you know something has to have come from nothing at some point yeah now i'm i'm struggling with the same thing at the moment i'm hoping this article Clears explains that, that because i love this concept i think okay. it's a great concept but so far it hasn't been very well Justified. All right, move on, carry on. All right. The fact that life started very soon after Earth became habitable is one of the strongest arguments for panspermia. Oh, that covers a few things. Like maybe they're suggesting it is possible that after a lot, a lot, a lot of mashing of things together, eventually life can be formed, but it just happened too quickly on Earth. Right. Okay. Um, keep going. It is assumed that the latest universal common ancestor, which existed about 4 billion years ago, was a very sophisticated organism, having between 500 and 1,000 genes and fully developed photosynthesis and respiration systems. Stop. Wait. We rewind. Uh, what are we talking about? We are talking about the first living thing, the 
the first ancestor of all living things. The the thing that the thing from which all current living things have come. Okay. The first thing that did something. Had yeah. Yep. Had between five hundred and a thousand genes mm-hmm. and had a respiratory system and photosynthesis. Okay. Um well I suppose that has to happen. It has to have a way of... It has to be a first some, at some point, right? Yeah. It's just... I think it's saying it's highly unlikely that you get a thousand genes together. 5,000. 500, uh, 500 to 1,000. Oh, 500 to 1,000. Right. I yeah. those together in my head. Right. That all mash together and make something that functions and... Well, I feel like if you're like throwing Lego blocks into a pool... You know, to, and hoping that they kind of join together in in some manner, um, to create something that does something, um, you know, uh, like it's not, it's not like a f- too far reach to think that you know if you do that, you know, an infinite number of times that eventually you're going to have a bunch of Lego blocks that kind of fit together, you know, with some cool circuitries of, of you know, five hundred to one thousand. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Probably not a great analogy but it kind of makes sense if you mess around with it a bit in your head um if, if every the lego issue, block, yeah i think the issue it's putting yeah. forward is that the pool in which you're throwing lego blocks mm-hmm. has not been around very long mm-hmm. at the start of life and so it's very unlikely that you would have got a thousand lego pieces that fell into place in that short period of time mm. well you say short period of time, but you're talking about this happening on every single, um, I guess, planet is is you know, but like, you know, like this is happening on suns, on planets, on you know, meteorites. Like, there's the compounds that are on, you know, that giant mass of rock or whatever it is, hard, you know, the gas, whatever it is that, that you know, there's. Uh, like chemical reactions happening across the entire universe. So when you say it happened fairly quickly, well, you're talking about a hundred trillion pools. Uh, yeah, exactly. When you yeah, all shooting off at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. It makes sense that one of those pools fairly quickly comes up with something that kind of works when you look at it that way. Yeah. That being said, is is this more likely to be that pool, or is this more likely to be a pool from which life, like if life formed in another pool yep. and started sprinkling life in all the pools around it, mm-hmm. are we more likely to be one of the pools that had life sprinkled into it pre-made or are we more likely to be one of the pools from which life formed? Okay. Yep. Okay. I don't know the mass. Of, of, I, I'm definitely not that good at mass. Sure no, but somebody. doing it in your head, just like playing the scenario out in your head, it mm-hmm. seems more likely that life yeah, well, would form yeah, one pool. It's true sprinkle it out everywhere because yeah, if it happens in one pool and then it decides to sprinkle out everywhere else because you know a sun supernovas and you know pushes you know shit everywhere then yeah it's gonna it's gonna spray and then you know you might have a you know a hundred or a thousand or you know so like things going everywhere but then those um those little building blocks those little you know uh, you know uh cells that are you know getting launched across the galaxy have to land on a planet that has a good, or on a surface somewhere, it has to land somewhere that that it can, you know, manifest and and build upon. So, 
Yeah. There's, that, there's also that to throw into the equation. But if you but just I, I, blow yeah. DNA out everywhere and let it land where it lands, mm. um, you know, the parable of the sower. Some seeds will land on the rocks. They won't grow. Some will land in the dirt. They'll grow amazingly. Mm. I get that. But I guess even in that parable, every single seed lands. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Whereas if you throw throw stuff out into space, not everything's going to land. Some of it will just just be in the abyss for a really, really long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yep. So we'll keep going. Right. It's really hard to keep track of where I'm up to when we keep stopping and talking, but I suppose that's how this podcast is supposed to work. <clears throat> After the seeding of Earth, it was assumed that life developed further as a result of evolution. So it does say evolution exists. Okay, it's cool with that, yep. Since it is doubtful that Darwinian evolution was responsible for the generation of complex organisms which needed thousands of beneficial mutations, it was proposed that strong panspermia could be responsible for further development. So... What does that suggest? I think it's actually suggesting that... I think this article is just saying it's a possibility that life today is life today because it was assisted by extraterrestrial, you know, life. And I I, I don't think I have a problem with that. Fair enough. Well, I think this is going rather well. I think it is too. This might be... This might be your first convincer. (laughs) Uh, This hypothesis postulates that new genes from space sustained evolutionary progress. Uh, So evolution has been constantly fed by new genes coming in from space. Okay. Because there's been too many complex changes in the amount of time that's passed. Okay. Keep going. It is known that horizontal gene transfer in bacteria modifies the genetic makeup of organisms. Yeah, fine. It is possible that viruses from space could have injected their genetic material into bacteria and modified their genes. I mean, I feel like most minerals are extraterrestrial. I mean, all... I think almost, I think all minerals are from exploding stars that just kind of spread shrapnel out throughout the universe and get caught on whatever's moving throughout the universe, including this earth. And therefore, like that's where all our iron and gold and silver, that's where all that comes from. So, yeah, all of our heavier things from the periodic table. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, our minerals are are within our cells. So I, I feel like that's just what it's talking about, right? I think it's talking about genetic change, viruses coming from outer space mm-hmm. and infecting us, and viruses do often modify Mutate. cells. Yep, uh, mutators. That's okay. sort of how they work. They they get into cells and they use those cells to breed more viruses. Like that's what viruses do. Yep. They they yeah. they modify DNA. So extraterrestrial viruses um, causing evolution. It's not, yeah, it's not far fetched to think that, along with all the minerals. Man, I got to use magazines for all of these because apparently their really arguments well. are far better than mine. 
<laughs> I mean, I read all sorts of academic crap to try and win these arguments, and then I just cannot formulate them when I get in here. Well, I mean, this is somebody who has a degree in writing persuasive texts. Yeah, it doesn't actually say what their qualifications are. It just gives a name that's near impossible to read. But it's got Conrad in it, so I'm going to assume they're Russian. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Where was I? It is known... Okay, it has been proposed that panspermia could be intentional, although some believe that it was completely fortuitous. So... Ah, that's where we... Did it get shot at yes. us all? Okay, so that's where the where, where I start to get a bit sceptical as to whether did did the alien-y guys, you know, did the, did the flying spaghetti monster, you know, grab these cells and or, or grab these minerals and, and viruses and, and bring them down to Earth and say, oh, this will, this will make for a good brewing stew, you know? Yes. Um, I love that you went with the flying spaghetti monster. It certainly amuses me, the idea of pasta making stew. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta cook somehow, right? <laughs> Gotta get those meaty balls. It makes sense. It makes sense. If, if God is pasta, then we surely would come from stew. Yeah. Hence the primordial stew from which we came, Ooh, I guess. Love it. That, love that, it. that holds up. Panspermia provides plausible explanations for the origin of life and the arising of eurekatoic cells on Earth. I think that's what that word is. I don't know what it means. Yeah, that sounds like a made-up word. I think I'm going to say eurekatoic means um, successful. Like the first successful from like unsuccessful. Like eureka, we achieved it. I don't think eureka. eureka I don't think eureka means achieved. I think eureka means uh, phenomenon. All right, let's do that. Um, Panspermia provides plausible explanation for the origin of life and the arising of what word you use? Phenomenon. Phenomenal cells on Earth. I feel like it works. Kind of like uh, explainable. Yeah, cells where something happened. Yes, a, a, explainable. Well, a pho- but not phenomenon is an occurrence. Yes, so. explainable but not necessarily explained. Is yeah. Phenomenon, yep. Sure, we'll go with that. However, there are two milestones in the development cycle of intelligent life that might be difficult to explain using simple panspermia. These two milestones are the Cambrian explosion and the human brain. Right, why our brains? Maybe they just want to make it personable. Like, maybe the writer just wants to make it personable. Maybe. You're right. I think you could have just said brains or organic matter. Maybe organic. Well, matter is not good organic enough. matter is this whole thing's about how organic matter was created. Hmm. So that's not it. Let's not linger on that detail. We're, we're two milestones anyway. First milestone: Cambrian explosion. During the Cambrian explosion, around 540 million years ago, the body plans of all existing philia belonged to the animal kingdom suddenly appeared. Right, so it's the movement from plants to animals. Correct, yes. During the 20 million year period, there appeared such different classes of animals as vertebrae, arachnids, and mollusks. 
These animals did not arrive in sequence from simple to more complex forms, but turned up almost simultaneously. You know, I've heard this argument from like a lot of people, like this this idea where you know evolution doesn't explain this phenomenon where where life just like bang, you know, really quickly a whole lot of different animals, a whole bunch of different species coming into existence really quickly. And it always narks me when I when I hear people with this argument because, like, the Earth was, I mean, it was just getting primed for this stew, right? It was just, it was just, like, all this, like, the right gases, the right chemicals, just all coming together, just ready for, for organic material to just absorb and just, you know, do whatever it needs to do. Yeah. And, and, uh, and once life figured out how to, you know, how to like, um, yeah, once it got a foothold, yeah, once it got of, a, exactly, once yeah. it got a foothold, once it could be like moving around and moving across the globe and going to different pockets of the globe and getting different nutrients and then, and, and learning how and figuring out how that nutrients would, you know, I- influence, you know, how it's going to, um, you know, adapt, you know what I mean? You know, like if you say you, you got this, you know, the, Say you got a, what's a small, a small living thing that would have been you know one of the first to kind of, um, well, just any little amoeba. Let's call them amoebas for argument's sake. Right. So you got amoebas, and maybe they're they're you know living. What is this list? Vertebrates, arachnids, and mollusks. Right. Mm. So let's say we've got a vertebrate. You know, yeah. like a, like a, like one of those little creepy crawly guys. You know, he's got a little spine, and you know, he's crawling around. Right, he can crawl. He can, he can, he can crawl vast distances. Because what's going to stop him? Massive bodies of water will stop him. But other than that, like he can just crawl across land. He might find areas of the world where he's like living in mud, and he's like, ah, oh, this mud is full of good stuff, right? Yeah. And therefore, he'll need to adapt to live in mud. You know, maybe, maybe many legs works for mud. You know, because otherwise your legs get stuck, so you need many legs. So, you know, he kind of adapts. Yeah, but I, th- I think it's talking about multiple really rapid changes in very different directions. I get that, but depending on your environment, you're going to need rapid changes. And and it, it didn't happen in a few years. Like, it's still happening over... Sure, it's still happening over thousands of years. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, you just have to look... You know, you have to go from Australia to Africa to, uh, you know, uh, Canada. You just look at the wildlife that are native to those areas of the world and you realize that certain animals work really well in that environment because of the way that they're structured. Like a polar bear works really good in a cold climate because he's covered in fur and fat and muscle, which keeps yes, him warm. but a polar bear is a mammal. Mammals everywhere. Um, then there's, um, what else? If I can pick one. There's bugs. Bugs are everywhere. Yeah, but again. separately, but they're also everywhere. Yes, they're everywhere, but they look different. Australian bugs are not the same as American bugs. Look no, at but they're all clearly from the same family. Yes. Yeah, which is fine. There's, no, nobody's, nobody's having an issue with the fact that there's different... But it's going in multiple dif- different directions in the same place. Like everywhere, it's going in the same set of different directions. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it's what works. You know? Like evolutionary. It's like, does a spine work? Yeah, spine seems to work. You know, it so just you throws out everything that works. Yeah. 
I suppose that actually makes sense because it, it's just a completely random set of evolutions and what works sticks around and what doesn't, doesn't. Correct, yeah. Oh, well. Uh, let's see. Most significantly, during this period, the complexity of organisms increased by several orders of magnitude in comparison with eurekatoic cells. New organisms had tens of thousands of new proteins and their genome was considerably increased to approximately 20,000 genes. Right. So we're talking about a 20 million year period in which we've gone from 500 to 1,000 genes to 20,000 genes. And that's, according to this, a ridiculously fast explosion. Doesn't sound it to me. Does Does it sound like a ridiculously fast explosion? I mean, when you... Say you have two organisms, you know, that both have, you know, a thousand genomes and, you know, genes in them, and, and then they try and procreate. I mean, in the pool, that's 2,000 genes that can be played around with. Yeah. And then you do that a couple of times. I mean, it doesn't seem unlikely that, that would happen uh, a couple of times over 20 million years. Well, we're not talking about a couple of times. We're talking about an order of magnitude going from a thousand to twenty thousand yeah but we're also talking about 20 million years yeah so we're talking about an increase of a thousand every million years yeah doesn't seem that far-fetched to me hmm i don't know Even simple animals needed new organs such as skin, a skeleton, muscles, neurons, digestive, reproductive, respiratory, and circulatory systems. Yeah, fine, but we all have a basic idea of how they came along. It just makes, it only needs to have a very basic circulatory system, and from there it grows. Yeah, it's like, oh, it works. We work better if we make our intestines a bit longer. And then a bit longer, and oh, this part of the intestine will make a different shape, and then you got to, eventually you just got a different, you know, organ in your in your body. You know, yeah, when you call I'm a not bowel sure about the timing argument, hey, or when you call a stomach. I think that's the issue: is the timing the argument. Timing, it's just the timing. Yeah. They seem to think it's a short amount of time. We think it's reasonable. Yeah, I just think that I mean, once things are eating other things. You know, yeah. yeah, but you don't absorb something's DNA when you eat it. That's not no, how that works. No, not when you eat it, but you're your body needs to be like it needs to be able to break down whatever you're eating so depending on what you're eating your body is going to try and break it what's in it down as best as possible you know so if you only have access to grass or you know leafy greens your body's going to you know over millions of years is going to adapt to make you know a digestive system that works really good you know pulling as much nutrition out of grass as it possibly can whereas yeah right right that's not where i thought you were going with that i thought you were going if you eat a bunch of leafy greens you're going to become a little more yeah green no no DNA. yeah no and then if you're living in, in an area where there's no leafy greens but there's heaps of like you know bugs and insects and so you there's heaps of proteins that your body can digest then and you uh, become very good at yeah, digesting exactly proteins. and then you have carnivores and herbivores and yeah, things like that yeah which is why we have slightly different even humans have slightly different digestive systems Correct. around the world based on what they eat correct yes all right, all right. 
To get a glimpse of how complex the building process of new organisms is, we have to look at embryo development. The whole process is controlled by Hox genes. These provide the overall layout of the body, defining the positions of the main parts such as the head, trunk, limbs, internal organs, so on. Each of the Hox genes switches on the other genes, which provide more detailed information about the position and the structure of different tissues needed to make these parts. Fine. Eventually, the position and type of almost every cell in the body must be specified. If we consider that organisms consist of trillions of cells, the embryo development control system is extremely complex and has been since the earliest animals. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, organisms get to a certain point where they don't really need that many more options when it comes to genes. Yeah. Enough, like, of a pool of genes. That's what the article's saying, right? That we, that things were... Went from having, you know, 500 to 1,000 genes and then it just exploded and now they have, you know, billions of, of genes in their system and and then it kind of plateaued and it just stayed at a few billion instead of going on to trillions. Or... No, this is saying it exploded into thousands, then tens of thousands, then millions, billions. It's just increasing. According to the story, it's just increasing and increasing and increasing. And okay, increasing, yeah. Which is okay. perfectly fine. But it's saying it's also getting more complex in terms of um, how it needs to come together. Like, you, you need to, when developing... Make sure all your limbs grow in the right place. Make sure all your organs grow in the right place. You have bones together. on the inside, right. yep. muscles on the outside, skin outside of that, so on, so on, so on. Right, right. Like we're, we're talking about a lot of really complex things happening. Yep, seems obvious. Keep going. God, I really have trouble keeping track of where I am here. Okay, eventually the position and type of almost every cell in the body must be specified. Yep, we said that. If we consider that organisms consist of trillions of cells, the embryo development control system is extremely complex and has been since earliest animals. The complexity of embryo assembly can be seen in the example of the human eye, which is controlled by about 2,000 genes. In the human embryo, approximately 3,000 gene regulatory compounds are at work. Embryo development control systems had to have been introduced as a complex unit because even small genetic deviations would have resulted in a detrimental result. Right, so that's saying that for the formation of the human eye in this example, you need 3,000 pieces to come into place in the right order and also have the information on how to structure itself so that everything is in the right place. And it's all just a lot, a lot of really complex things. And if one thing's out of place, the whole thing goes to shit. Mm. I get that. I get, I get, I get it seems unlikely, but I mean, I I feel like once it does, once it does, like, you know, once enough things do come together, that, that living thing that has eyes Oh, try killing that thing. Like, if it's the only thing that can see, you know, and if that, like, works really well and, and there's uh, living organisms around it that, you know, have all the, you know, have, have enough genes, obviously, to, to kind of uh, have the opportunity to have eyes, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to breed, right? I mean, if, I mean, if you're the only dude with eyes 
and every 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 person is just walking around, right? You're gonna you're gonna like pick who you want to have sex with, right? Yeah, and be like that one and yeah. that one and that one, and then like Another you're one just that's procreating get to eat in the jungle. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Because everyone else is just kind of like feeling around for something to have sex with, and you're like, nah, nah, um, it's on, you know? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's how it worked, you know, on those millions of years ago. Almost definitely. There were definitely little amoebas <laughs> that started to develop went, tiny little eyes, eyes and went, oh my God, that amoeba yeah, is yeah. banging. Yeah, well, it would have started off with just being able to see things move, you know, just like movement. Like it can it can tell through light that something's moving. Surely it would have started at that point. And just be like, there's something moving. I'm going for it. I'm going to, you know. Yeah, pretty sure it started with eating rather than with having sex because I'm pretty sure the whole... Um, Look, prob- probably food is more important. <laughs> came in like fairly late in the game. <laughs> probably more important than eating. Splitting in half initially and hoping for the best. Yeah, yeah. Leave it to me to, to link it to sex and be like, yeah, no, nah, definitely. Everyone's getting it on. Once you have eyes, it's, it's all all, all a go. <laughs> yeah, no, I I get it. It's been a while. Your eyes are wandering. That's where your head's at. <laughs> you know, like if these women didn't have eyes, I could pick any of them. But you can't because they yeah, can see you right, too. Yeah. yeah. It's highly unlikely that the simultaneous development of large morphological structures and complex genetic control systems arose as a result of implanting a few new genes. Therefore, the mechanism of simple panspermia could not have been responsible for such developments. Right, so that's saying that it's unlikely that um, just simple viruses coming from outer space have made minor modifications to genes. It's all happened too hard and too fast. There had to be more complex things added in from outer space. Mm. Look, uh, the, the further we go into this article, the the more I, I almost want to just dig my heels in and say, look, at the end of the day, there has to be a beginning point. And it doesn't matter how much how much you know egg you throw on the wall, like it's still it still has to come from somewhere. Yeah. No, at this point, it's not. It's not talking about the start. We went through the start, and the start was. Yeah, I get that, but I, I feel like this article is just alluding it's, to the fact it's that it's talking it about the must, big leaps. Yeah, it must have been something, you know, coming in, and I guess you could say that it happened a lot slower somewhere else in the cosmos, and then, it, you know, something brought, you know, something, you know, like the the eyeball, you know, happened somewhere really slowly in the cosmos. It made a lot of sense, and then, you know, on Earth, it happened really quickly. Therefore. You know, maybe some you know happened really slowly somewhere in the cosmos, and they brought the eyeball to you know to um, Earth, and and then everything all had eyeballs. Is that what is this? I think that's basically the direction this is going in. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't I don't see why that wouldn't work. Look, I don't I don't see why it doesn't as, work as long either. As you got enough things that you're sending out into the abyss, sending out trillions upon trillions of. Your genome, mm, and something that had you know something like eyeballs, you know, could hitch a ride on something and live long enough on that thing, you know, to the point where it got to Earth, and then started walking around and sharing its genome. Yeah, well, there's. Um, I don't think that there's this... little critters and that sort of stuff that survive in deep space. Well, not so much survive; they die in deep space and then come back to life when they come to Earth. Yeah, well, it's just their genes that need to really survive, and then. Yeah, exactly. You just need we're talking about very that's fundam- not going to completely yeah. break down in space. We're not talking about like humans, you know, coming or, you know, like living things like humans or other yeah. animals, you know, hitching a ride somehow and then 
sharing their eyeballs. We're talking about like really small creatures. Yeah, which is not as fun. I was really hoping it was going to be like um, Martians going, oh, let's let's design some some new species and chuck it on this planet and mm. mess around with it. Look, I mean, I mean, skimming through the article because we're at forty-five minutes. Um, just skimming Jeez. through the article, is is there anything that is it All getting right. interesting? Well, we're like halfway through this article. I read subtitles. So, I mean, not sub, the subheadings. Homo sapiens. Nah, nobody cares about Homo sapiens. Well, I mean, everybody cares. Anyway, um. It is possible that intelligent life on Earth is the result of a purposeful experiment carried out by an extraterrestrial civilization. I feel like we should have started there. Ah, we absolutely should have. That was just a little blurb that they've made big. I need to find where it is in the article. Alright. Maybe they just want the whole article to allude to that without giving any actual decent evidence towards that. Yeah, maybe. Here we go. Advanced panspermia. Let's see what this is. The question arises whether strong panspermia could be responsible for the development of life during and after the Cambrian explosion. Our understanding of embryo development is that thousands of new genes and gene control substances were involved in the development of higher organisms. Also, it is difficult to envisage the partial development of the primadial structure of the Hox gene control system and this indicates that the architecture of the control system would have to have been developed as a complex operational unit. It looks as though such a system would have been able yep, would have been able to be generated by evolution or strong panspermia. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to take a while before we get to that thing and... This is this is just going to be a pain. I think we're quite happy to to leave it here. I think at the end of the day, this this article might be alluding to the idea that you know some um, larger extraterrestrial life might have had to have come and and done some sort of uh, you know test tube baby situation in order to add you know eyes onto things with vertebrates, you know mammals and things. Yeah, that seems to be the the if we're talking about alternative and we want to be cynical and. And say that they're trying to be outlandish. That might be it. Um, I I feel like we don't have um, we don't have all of the evidence um, that we need to make a you know a one hundred percent decision on on you know how it all played out twenty million years ago because there's only so much we can dig up. Um, there's only so much evidence we can dig up from the ground from twenty million years ago to say, oh look, here's the lineage. This is how long it took to for these geno- these genes to come into existence. I, I think that we can we can get a fair amount of information. Well, that's my point. I feel like we I feel like if the general consensus in the science community is that no it seems perfectly likely that that's how it happened. I'm well, happy this was to suggesting up. this was suggesting at the start of the article that there is a shift in the scientific communi- community moving from the theory of evolution Correct. But the, the issue is that you're reading it out of an alternative scientific yeah. magazine which yeah. means that it's not the majority of scientists that are yeah but that's the whole point shifting. of the podcast isn't it to find things that aren't what the majority believe yeah and explore the possibility of them i get that i think me and you are both in agreement that with this one probably the original um idea 
behind, you know, in, in the, the leading, current leading theory behind how uh, living organisms came into being and how, you know, we got to the point we are today is probably the most likely at this point. From what we've read so far, but I feel like I, I would definitely like to do more research, especially on advanced panspermia and find out if... Of course you would. Well, that just sounds like a more fun concept and I think it'd be fun. <laughs> we'll leave it here. <laughs> yep.